their listeners, and welcome to another episode of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers. Before we dive in today, I want to put out another call for interviewees. I figured I'd stick it at the start of this episode to make sure everyone hears it. The goal of this podcast is to gather the stories of as many transgender and or non-binary people as possible, from as many faiths and countries and backgrounds as possible. I have been so thrilled about how many different voices have been shared with me so far. We've gotten to hear from people from the United States, from Poland, from Indonesia, people in their teens and 20s, and people in their 40s and 50s, folks who are Christian, Jewish, atheist, Muslim, and more. But so far, I have failed at reaching more people of color and more trans women or non-binary people assigned male at birth. We've gotten to hear from a few such people so far, but this podcast is currently overwhelmingly white and features many more people assigned female at birth than trans-feminine people. This is a problem particularly when you look at the fact that transgender people of color and trans-feminine people, and especially black trans women, face even greater levels of violence and have even less access to resources than the rest of us. Too often, those of us who are white have more access to life-saving resources than our transgender siblings of color, spaces that are meant to be friendly and helpful to all trans people end up being racist and misogynistic and hurting trans people of color and trans women who try to get help from them. Those of us who are white have our voices amplified much more frequently than others. And while we face violence for being transgender too, they face so much more because of their intersecting identities. So I want to extend an invitation specifically to transgender and non-binary people who belong to one or both of the following categories. If you're a trans woman or trans feminine or otherwise assigned male at birth. And then the second category, if you're a person of color. And just to make it clear, if you're interested in being on the show, you would be welcome to talk about anything you want to talk about. Um, anything that you'd prefer not to have to talk about, you don't have to. Um, so you can make it as serious or funny as you want. Um, I always want to leave it to the interviewee to set the mood. So if you want to come on and talk about racism and trans misogyny, you're totally welcome to. But if you'd rather not talk about that kind of stuff, there's no pressure from me to do so. You can talk about your personal journey as a whole or just a couple anecdotes. You can share your favorite things about your faith tradition, what you think about um, the divine, what you think about gender, whatever else you want to talk about. You all deserve to share your stories. And the rest of us need to shut up and listen to your voices, to your stories, your wisdom. It is my privilege to host this podcast that allows me to amplify other people's voices. I want to do better at using this special opportunity to amplify the voices at the margins of the margins. So yeah, if you are trans feminine and or a person of color, 
please reach out to me at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com if you would be interested in appearing on this show. Now that I've said all that, let's shift into hearing from this week's interviewee, who does a lot of work with diversity and inclusion themselves. Luca Alexander both studies and lives out community. They're a student at Boston University, and they're also active at a nonprofit organization, and they participate in queer Muslim spaces. I love getting to hear Luca's thoughts on how scholarship does not only take place in academic spheres, but among ordinary people on social media and elsewhere. It was also really meaningful to me to hear Luca's vision of God and how it relates to their perspective on human gender. I think you're all going to like to hear from them. So let's get into the interview. So my name's Luca Alexander. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. Um, I am, yeah, I'm current, so I am currently working at Visions. We're a 35 or so year old nonprofit um, that's black owned and founded um, as well as run. So we are um, focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion work, mainly, mainly focusing around multicultural inclusion um, and specifically um, with educating individuals who decide to either take our workshops or organizations that specifically seek us out for personalized help. I am not part of the consultant team, so I don't really do kind of the direct work so much as doing the behind the scenes administration work. But in terms of um, my own background, I'm what I <laughs> I tend to call a second generation convert. My mother is a Muslim convert uh, as well, and oh, okay. she yeah yeah so she converted back in like 2004 or so, um, and I converted in 2012. Um, so I kind of grew up with. Islam in my household mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, had that present from my mom's perspective as a convert and from my stepfamily's view as well. So that was um, a part of my life growing up. Yeah, that's cool. And um, I think you mentioned in the email you converted from Catholicism. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was raised um, in the Catholic church through my father's family. Yeah. I, I would say that I kind of was raised both Catholic and Muslim in a lot of ways. So um, the efforts to kind of have me be a part of the Catholic church without um, whether or not I had a say so was a little bit different than whereas my mom wasn't trying to kind of make me Muslim or didn't kind of have me included in that until that was something that I wanted. Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit different. So that's why I would say I, I converted from it um, where instead of like saying that I was technically raised both um, just because I didn't necessarily practice as mm -hmm. much as a kid. Yeah, that's cool. And that makes sense to me that um, the difference between being sort of pressured to be part of something versus getting to choose it yourself. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I, I think there was, um, 
it was definitely difficult at different points when I was a kid because I did take um, Catholicism courses like catechism on Wednesday nights and that on Sundays I would tend to go to Islamic Sunday Sunday school courses with my mom um, and in the kids courses um, me and both my younger sister um, we kind of just stood out a lot more because we weren't Muslim. I want to, like, I don't know, for me as a child, I felt like that was important to make that known because I didn't want to be, like, seeming like I was faking something or be kind of, like, found out that I was, like, in this insider space um, and didn't feel like I was, you know, a part of it. So it's like, hey, just so you guys know. Yeah. But it, it did end up kind of, like, isolating me as a child. So, I mean... I ended up taking the adult courses with my mom, which were meant for specifically for converts. So, it, like, I was maybe 11 or 12 or so um, in those in those classes um, and able to, like, soak up more in that environment because it was meant for people who were coming from kind of an outsider perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and becoming part of um, becoming part of Islam instead. Mm-hmm. So, so what was it from those classes or from your mom that sort of drew you to Islam? Um, yeah. So I, it's interesting because I think um, for me, Islam stayed. Um, especially um, kind of like the oneness of God kind of stayed a huge focus point for me um, as I grew older and kind of having a God that's not as anthropomorphized really was something that I appreciated um, and very much had kind of, I don't know, like I very much was moved by the teachings that came specifically from Prophet Muhammad. And I think that's kind of what ended up motivating me. Um, I found Islam, like refound Islam as a 19 year old with um, really bad depression, getting out of an abusive relationship um, and like going to college really far away from home and couldn't, kind of was not fitting in at school and not really having an enjoyable time. And I really found myself exploring Islam actually like on Tumblr. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I had a friend who was, I was, I had told, oh, well, like I want to convert at some point, but I don't necessarily know when. And having had him be like, well, why not now? Like, what's stopping you? Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of me having these reasons like, well, I want to date or, oh, I want tattoos. Like kind of these (laughs) are kind of trivial in in perspective to like believing in, you know, (laughs) believing in something bigger than yourself that's, you know, also very easily like difficult for some people to believe so you know I I I find it amusing that those are the things that I was much more worried about back yeah. then um but yeah it he you know that friend at the time had also been very amused it was like well they're you know these are 
completely like these are little compared to anything else like you have to start with like believing in god first so yeah and i think i had to definitely like rework some like i don't know some like very kind of like whitewashed orientalist perspectives Mm. of islam that very much like i don't know you you can see it with you can see it within convert communities as well as kind of like interfaith spaces that talk about Islam where, you know, you're very, it's very much, oh, well, it's so much more beautiful because it's in Arabic. Well, is it because mm. it's Arabic particularly that it's beautiful or is it because it's different than English okay. and you know, foreign sounding? That yeah. Yeah, like, so, oh, it's exotic. and Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and kind of having, like, those are definitely things that I, you know, had to work with and had to, like, out, outgrow being in part of Islam now and, like, being a Muslim myself. Like, how yeah. do I represent myself? And that also played into hijab as well, mm-hmm. especially, like, hijab and whiteness um are at, are very much seen at odds and you know there are very many times where um i probably wore it for about three years um through two different periods of time and very much had to kind of wrestle with what you know what it means to be um a white person who kind of gets to kind of put aside some of their um white privilege not necessarily putting like not having access to it so much as people not seeing it right away because Mm. of the way that hijab gets racialized Um, it's very tricky i had a conversation many years ago with a friend that had been along the lines of i had asked um you know i know that I know that I'm white and I know that I wear a hijab. I know that those are two things that I, you know, that I hold to be true. And at the same time, like, I know that because those two things are seen at odds that like one doesn't get as seen as the other. Um, So, you know, how, like, I'm wondering how you think about that in terms of like, what how islamophobia is ending up being treated in a similar way to racism and a friend of mine um had said and who's black so like has a different context for this Mm -hmm. had said something along the lines of well i don't you get to go home and you get to take your headscarf off i don't get to wash the blackness off my Mm -hmm. skin i'm still black so you know there's i think that there's and you know there are converts that are black there are converts you know coming from all across the country and kind of you know having to really sit with that and inevitably feeling like my kind of like complacency in in um what that meant um in terms of being a white person who got to distance that um, through hijab and like also having a lot of other motivations to not wear it like gender dysphoria and okay. um you know a whole a lot of you know literal problems of safety where I was being targeted at different points either for a different like uh conversation being called a terrorist like mm-hmm. things that would happen in public to the point that my social anxiety was too high so like there's kind of there's kind of a lot that goes into 
wearing or not wearing a headscarf. And it's just like, I think that that was such a minor part of my faith, but also like something that people, because they see it, they think it's, you know, um, kind of like at the center point of what you think about in terms of faith. Oh, yeah, because it's the most visible thing. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about sort of the gender dysphoria aspect? Like, um, when you first started converting, did you already know that you were queer? So, um, I've known that I was queer since I was like 13 or so. Uh Um, yeah, I didn't know anything in terms of, I mean, like, I can play the game of looking at my childhood and dissecting, you know, what aspects of, like, how I interacted with gender played into me being non-binary or, like, me being agender today. And, like, at the same time, like, um, you know, I think most in terms of, in terms of um, becoming Muslim, the things that push that, like, I now see as kind of being kind of falling under the label of dysphoria is very much more around how would I say it there was I was going I was having a lot of trouble pushing back against kind of like quote-unquote like cultural elements but also like religious elements that are uh, of Islam that do hold patriarchal value and there are people who will tell you, oh, well, like, it's not Islam, it's the people. Um, and, like, I want to hold at the same time how strong it is to have, like, men in power creating very rigid mm. um, binary characteristics between men and women in a way that's divisive. So, mm. like, if you have a religion that does have a legal system in place that's based around religion and you put a bunch of men in power and you say, Hey, we want women to be, you know, submissive to our control. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, of course you're going to make things, you know, for hundreds of years, you know, skewing Mm -hmm. one direction. Yeah. Um, So I think there's, I think like for me, what, what pushed back for me was a lot of, um, you know, gender segregation and prayer isn't something that is, you know, necessarily mandated mm. or, you know, gender segregation. Gender segregation for me was very much like something that as a child I struggled with because I had a lot of friends that were boys mm-hmm. because I like things like anime and like <laughs> kind of like nerdy things. Yeah. And like, yeah. yeah. And so like those very much um I, I'm from uh farm town. I don't know, things are very like kind of black and white um in a lot of ways on how gender works. Uh-huh. Um I I very much struggled with the fact that like my parents were like, Well, you, you know, if you have um a friend that's a boy, like I don't want any monkey business happening <laughs> ordeal. And it's like yeah no mom I just want to be able to have friends that you know it doesn't for me it didn't matter and you know Mm -hmm. I think like in terms of that became something that I struggled with when I got older as well was being able to have friends that were men and Mm -hmm. women and like non-binary as well and not having to um kind of you know we 
there's aspects of Islam that are supposed to be seen as respected, but then that gets, you know, um, that can often um, be internal conversations for Muslims that are struggling, that um, are difficult for us to have, like, Mm -hmm. like gender segregation, like, you know, we ask people, um, I say we, and by we, I mean, like, um, Muslim communities specifically having kind of um, an external facing community towards other um, communities of faith. Uh-huh. Ask them to ha- ask people to have a kind of understanding that gender segregation is a thing. Mm-hmm. And we ask people to, ex- we ask interfaith space to like hold that. Whereas other Muslims, you know, people who are trying to actually undo these systems from within, too, are actually like, no, no, not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, like, we don't necessarily have to have, like, gender segregation in order for schools to work, like, there's all these things that, you know, it's just like, they're, they're, are, they're difficult to have because we don't want to be critiqued while yeah. we're also struggling with Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. And so and yeah. I think that played into a lot of, a lot of me feeling the need to like remove myself from a lot of Muslim spaces was the fact that we couldn't act mm-hmm. like, I don't know, adults and not, and not like, I don't know, like have to kind of, separate each other for the sake of um I don't know peace um but like or how do I phrase it I feel like a lot of my um a lot of my struggles came more initially with being queer um and kind of having that perspective um as well as like having from before recognizing that I was non-binary, recognizing that gender was a struggle, mm-hmm. even if it meant that I was struggling it when I thought, you know, when I saw myself as a woman at the time, or, you know, had a kind of thought beyond what I had thought at the time. Yeah. yeah. I think that made sense. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I really appreciate what you were saying about sort of that conflict that it really is a conversation that has to be had within the commu- the Muslim community yeah. while you're also dealing with Islamophobia outside, like people in the United States, like, you know, like m- I'm guilty of it as being part of like the Christian community. Um, we already think, have these stereotypes that Islam is backwards and sexist and outdated and stuff. And so when from within you're trying to like to sort of challenge some things while also being respectful. Like I imagine that gets really complicated mm-hmm. to do. And then, you know, it's also not, it's also my, not my place to then, you know, kind of critique for every single person, for every single Muslim, like yeah. what, what is like, what, how should we present ourselves as Muslim if we're going to like undo gender Mm. binaries? Because if that's the case, then like, why would hijab be like something that would be necessitated? Because Mm. like, then that's me imposing what my 
what my whiteness would tell me that is going to be different. And so like, whereas hijab holds cultural and religious value, mm-hmm. you know, like those are, you know, those it's considered modesty and you can have modesty that doesn't necessarily like have to reflect on that. Just like hijab isn't only for women. Um, so I think that that's also something that like, it it's it's just wild that we can go we can have such deeper conversations if we're not taking gender to just mean man and woman yeah. and especially around um religious law it's something that i find extremely fascinating yeah so. that is really cool and you i think you mentioned in your email that you've been doing a lot of that research in school is that right like that you've been looking yeah. into um this stuff which is awesome yeah a lot of um what I've been working on had been much more about had been specifically about like gender segregation in prayer spaces and mm-hmm. what um um in order for us to kind of have conversation about that um I was working with my mentor um Dr. Ali at Boston University and we um kind of had to go back from well even before we can talk about prayer spaces we have to talk about what it means to define like man and woman within the context of islam Mm -hmm. because how can we talk about gender without talking about how we define gender in itself and so like i think having to kind of like rework that especially um kind of like defining you know what does a man look like? What do women look like? What types of, um, you know, if if we're going to work within the framework of Islamic law, how can somebody who identifies as neither man nor woman, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, make ablutions? Like, you know, how can they get ready for prayer? Um, you know, if it's somebody who neither claims or or like when for instance would someone claim man in one category and women woman in another mm-hmm. um do these aspects that only pertain to the body then um you know we have things like you know if we have ritual law about um ablutions and you have to be quote-unquote clean what does that mean if you're a menstruating trans man you Mm -hmm. know like there's kind of like there's all these you know especially when you have not only just rules but then you have exceptions to rules yeah and so it 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 very much just kind of opened up floodgates in terms of what i was looking at um and i think um I ended up so I ended up leaving my last semester um from school for for mental health reasons and ended up withdrawing for the semester and then um, and planning to hopefully return within the next year or so um so I didn't really get to I didn't finish the year out strong and I didn't finish that research out strong but it's very much um it's very much a starting point for me um and I'm so completely inspired by the pe- the younger people that are coming 
um, after me um, and after my colleagues and coming with even more on the subject and who are going to be able to take this type of research even further as well. Just like I, I'm hoping to finish my master's and hopefully put it on pause for a little bit just mm -hmm. to get stable um, in terms of like my own health and whatnot. But I am very much just like I'm very grateful to be able to to work on that work on that and be able to even talk about it. It's just wonderful. So Yeah. And it is like it's so wonderful that there's other people also doing the work so that it doesn't just have to be on you, yes. that you can take a break when you need it. Yeah. Well and and to know that like I'm I'm no one without the rest of scholars like mm -hmm. you, know, you know, I think that one thing about scholarship is that it has to be accessible so yes. for me scholarship doesn't necessarily have to just be in um kind of the ivory tower framework or anything along those oh, lines yes. um so it's just it's I think it's just much like I I add that as a caveat to what I'm saying mainly because I think right now I'm seeing so much of this work being done in Twitter threads and yes, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of conversation that happens not within you know academic articles that are ex only accessible behind a paywall. Oh yeah, and have to be have to go through certain hands that approve them, and to have no spelling errors, and yeah, be perfectly yeah. grammatically correct. Yeah, yeah, and I'll definitely be asking you if you have any sort of recommendations that you can email me of like people to follow or anything like that. Yeah, definitely, I have some. Cool. And so, the um, where you where you left before you finished a semester that was that the Boston Theological Institute that you were. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm at B. Uh, so I'm at BU um, at Boston University, um, but they're within the Bo they're within the Boston Theological Institute. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. And no pressure. You definitely don't have to if you don't want to. But you mentioned in your email, I think you said something about how in some ways going there was difficult for you as a trans person and as a Muslim. Are you mm -hmm. interested in sort of talking about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely can. Um, so let's see. Um, so at BU School of Theology, it's within, a, there's, it's situated within a couple of different schools at BU, um, but there isn't really, um, let's see, well, there's one gender neutral bathroom that's also the only accessible bathroom mm -hmm. from my understanding. Mm -hmm. um, or full, at least the only fully accessible bathroom, yeah. I believe. Um, which is annoying. Yeah, which yeah. is annoying. Um, and so, and I might be wrong on that, so I don't want to like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll add that caveat. Sure, sure. But it's definitely the only gender neutral bathroom. Um, and just, I think the the real struggle is over sexuality and gender right now. And the fact that, that homophobia can still live on the campus, mm. like within a Christian framework. Um, I don't know if you heard about what happened with um, the UMC over yes. the summer. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. MBU is Methodist. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. that, that do you want to just mention for listeners who don't know yeah. what happened with the UMC? Yeah. So I, so I, 
from so there are a couple of things that happened over the past couple of months. I know both um, there was an article that came from the Unitarian Universalist about um, trans people, which might be completely unrelated, but on the same framework, I believe that the um, UMC or the United Methodist Conference decided to what they decided to not allow um, queer um, uh, marriage equality. Mm-hmm. Or, or was it that they um, that they weren't going to sign off on it being like acceptable? Um, I would have to look it up again, only because yeah. of yeah. I think it was um, that plus not ordaining people who are LGBT who are like you know actively oh. practicing being gay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I think it was both of those things. Yeah, I wouldn't mm. be surprised if it were both. So mm. yeah. So with that in mind, just um, like there's been incidents where there's been where they'd have worship services or community worship and they would have homophobic um, teachings that were happening. Um, And this wasn't necessarily something that I was even getting involved in, but was very much alive and present in the classroom. And that went beyond just the student body. And I ended up um, losing a Title IX case that Mm. I had filed against a professor for creating an unhabitable, not habitable, sorry. Um, (laughs) There's another term that I want to use, but I can't, it's not coming to mind. Um, But basically making the classroom a very aggressive environment. and the professor was also openly Islamophobic as well. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like very um, also uh, pro-Israel, anti-Palestine. Uh, okay. Very, yeah, just so very all much. all the things. Yeah, yeah, all the things, just a fair amount. And like very much he included like a whole section in his syllabus that regarded why you can't use they and them pronouns. Oh my for, gosh. Like yeah. that's really necessary, dude. <laughs> yeah, it was oh. yeah, clear that this guy really wanted to gosh. like have he only wanted to read what he wanted to read for work. Yeah. And you know, this to me is is it 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 doesn't do anything for the student body. No, it yeah. literally only creates the same papers that you want to see as a professor. Yeah. Um, so and they ended up finding nothing. Um, or I guess they kind of um the base claim that I had had was that I felt like the so they had to like take it from a perspective of like that that grading wasn't fair mm-hmm. so but like they basically weren't able to base it around grading um based on gender either so like because of that like the case didn't go anywhere and mm-hmm. at the same time the professor's tenured it's he, like right. yeah. yeah like you're you're not likely going to make someone budge yeah, um, he's, yeah so. he's untouchable and that sucks yeah, exactly yeah. so i'm so sorry know, that you had to go through that like yeah. all, the, all the energy of a case and then for it to fail that's right yeah yeah and i think that's just kind of where i left off feeling was um just much more wanting to immerse myself within community rather than learn about community yeah um 
through tech. So I have one more semester to go back and finish up. Um, and after that, you know, I'm really hoping to be able to get more involved. And in, I don't know if I'll stay in Boston or not. But definitely getting involved in queer Muslim spaces more um, as of late, as well as just um, queer organizing spaces and really feeling more at home with doing work and like creating. Yeah. 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 That's where I'm, that's where I'm at right, right mm. about now. Do you want to talk sort of about the work that you currently do or that you hope to do? Yeah. Um, so let's see, I'm hoping to be doing some more writing this upcoming year. Sweet. Um, as well as trying to put together an actual website so that I can be creating um, writing as well as art. <laughs> um, I'm also having tonsillectomy in like a month or so. So, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like waiting for that kind of waiting for the next two months to pass by so that mm. I can get back to a normal flow of life in terms of not planning around a surgery yeah um, but definitely looking to hopefully um do more in terms of art and writing and being able to ideally um get more focus so that i can eventually have a patreon so that um people can support what i'm doing um and that i feel like i'm actually doing enough um to be able to kind of host that kind of content. What, so, kind of, what kind of art do you do? I write poetry, I do fiber art, I do embroidery um, and cross-stitch, um, as well as sewing. Um, so I'm hoping, I'd really love to be able to incorporate poetry into mixed media artwork like that, mm. with, like on canvas. Yeah, um, so I'm looking to, I'm like trying to, I'm, I'm really hoping that during surgery and some downtime that I can work on creating more art. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll see how much painkillers they put me on. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not I'll be able to kind of focus. <laughs> yeah. I, I also do embroidery, and I know it takes a lot of concentration just to get the needle into the part of the fabric you want it to go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really wanting to get back into sewing lately. Um, I recently bought some new fabric and so just really feeling like wanting to create some patches, like doing patches, yeah. mm -hmm. um, especially just we're we're living in such a political age and feeling like being being able to create is such a type of energy that I that runs through me mm. and at the same time is very much stifled. Um when I kind of don't feel like I have the time or space. Yeah. So I'm just trying to kind of gather the supplies at the moment, <laughs> getting mm -hmm. all the fabric and everything. So, yeah, yeah, that way, when you do have the energy and the inspiration, <laughs> you'll be able to use the stuff you've got. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I miss painting and I want to get back into that and mm -hmm. trying to do some digital artwork. I don't know, it's kind of a montage all right now. Mm -hmm. um just um, it's an artistic discernment process <laughs> yeah 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 uh did you have any other questions i'm trying to think of anything else that i might have missed yeah do you have sort of like what does your sort of faith practice look like right now do you have 
um, services you attend frequently or like people you talk to, or is it a more private thing? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, lately, I think as of late, I've been somewhat more private, though, like trying to get back into kind of going to more community events again. Um, I'm finding a lot more queer Muslim spaces here and I'm recently moved within Boston and feel much more, um, cl- I'm closer to a lot more of my community right now. Oh, so yeah, um, I'm not really far from the huge mosque that's here now. Um, and just trying to kind of, I think I'm at a better place to be, um, healing, but also like, it's very difficult because if I wanted to go to the mosque, I would still also like, I would probably have to dress more like a woman um mm-hmm. and go within the woman's spaces just because i don't pass in a certain type of way nor do i or like i at the very least don't feel comfortable thinking i pass in order to make that leap yeah. um yeah and you know um it'd be a different story if i had like 10 guys that i was going to the mosque with on a yeah. regular basis who could, could sort like, of protect you and yeah 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 and yeah. i wouldn't like I, I guess I don't like worry too much, but, but like there's there's always I think for a lot of trans people the worry that th- that violence is going to happen, especially yeah. when um kind of like performing outside of outside of your lines, like it's it just that's how it feels for me. Um, I agree with you that like even if it's not physical violence that you fear too much, there's like even just like sort of being greeted with confusion or like rude comments, like even that makes it so hard to go out into the world when you're sort of expecting some of that to happen. Um, Yeah. And so like, I'm trying to now kind of get more, especially with, um, I am planning to have top surgery within the next year. So for me, that feels very much like a step closer to being able to like, go into spaces um mm-hmm. and even if i am not a man then i can be you know creating a third space you know if it's at mm-hmm. the back of back of the line or whatever mm-hmm. um but there's community events that happen frequently i'm trying to get more active in those and kind of get away f- get away from like the one thing that very much kind of like literally separates all of us mm-hmm. uh, well, it, it both brings us all together and it separates us. Um, and I think, so that's why my prayer practice, I think, has been more private. Um, by definitely trying to get back more into a rhythm of having community for um, something called Thicker. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's um, it's like it's like repetitive chanting in a certain type of way mm-hmm. but it's the 99 names of god usually yeah um yeah or or there's different fr- like phrases that are like supplication phrases that are used um and it's said pretty r- rhythmically done um to a point where like um it can be almost like trance inducing depending mm-hmm. on the context mm-hmm. um and doing that has been is very something that I find extremely healing. Um, so trying to find those spaces again and reach out. I hope you're able to find that in your area. Do you know of any other like non-binary or transgender Muslims? Yeah, yeah. Actually, oh, awesome. 
there's um a group called queer muslims of boston oh, um, awesome yeah we actually like do have a group here it's been here for years um and i mean so historically we've been pretty like confidential in a certain way um namely just for the safety of the people that are um like participating and at the same time like we do do some events where we'll like invite partners and friends and family or like um we'll do outings um but otherwise yeah like we'll have like um different dinners um and thursday nights we tend to do um we tend to do thicker or we do like usually over food something first um so it's yeah it's it's a good community i've been Mm -hmm. lax as of late only because i've been very broke so it's been (laughs) effort to leave the house type of situation but Mm -hmm. like um by yeah very much um a very meaningful part of community to me yeah for sure one thing i'm always interested in um is just like if you have any specific um like sort of like examples of like beliefs you have that sort of link being trans or being queer to being muslim like yeah like i think a lot about the fact that in islamic tradition we don't we represent god as an entity like above gender Mm -hmm. um and even though he or she end up getting used or like any pronouns can get used that god is seen you know higher than man in such a way that there's like a concept like called Tauba, where you're like it's almost like fear but awe shocking fear mm-hmm. so much of like like oh my god how could i conceptualize of something so huge and massive and like yeah. in in ability um and so like I think about that in terms of like the capacity that humankind has to do in the world and that we're so capable of being more and doing more than just two things. If God has, you know, you know, the 99 names are actually like the 99 traditional main names of God. Mm-hmm. And like they have like they're set aside even above and beyond other names. But like there's, I think there's like thousands of like, references to like a lot in like in um different names as well if we can imagine that then how is it that like for me it's like how could gender be only two yeah and so for me like my being a gender like it's not that necessarily i don't do things or say things that are gendered by a society or by com- like by like social constructs but like that those are things that I do not so much as I am. So like while they are a part of me and while like I do a mix of them or, you know, like I'm not necessarily like saying that, oh, just because I do makeup, that's inherently feminine of me to be doing. And so, so I think of, I think of that in terms of like, like, okay, well, like for my capacity, I don't see myself as, as inherently one thing or another is just a human being who has to do these different actions and um gendered um behaviors so yeah that's really cool thank you for sharing that yeah of course yeah i always love to hear more about just how people cultivate like 
an understanding of God. Um, who, like you said, like is so much bigger than anything we can try to put a label on. So yeah, yeah that's definitely how I think too. Yeah. And then my last question on this podcast is always just a sort of basic. If there's one thing that you could like some bit of advice that you could offer to transgender Muslims or to trans people in general, uh, what would it be? Mm, yeah, I mean that we're all that we're all on it together. That we're all that we're all doing it together. And you know, there are going to be people that struggle harder than you individually. There are going to be people that don't struggle at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, how can we? How can we bring those people into the fold? <laughs> you know, I think yeah. I think my biggest advice is to just always remember that you can like build a longer table. We're hurting as you know, the US is hurting as a country, but we're hurting as a world. And I just like mm-hmm. I very much feel strongly about making sure that we're taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's a lot of radical unlearning and un, like literally having to give up a lot of ourselves, but like, yeah, learn to give up some of yourself and extend that table so that you can make your community stronger. Many thanks to Luca for sharing some of their story and wisdom today, and particularly for their call to keep extending the table. With that in mind, I'll mention my call for trans people of color and or trans feminine people once again. If you fit one or both of those categories and you want to share your story on this podcast, or if anybody has questions or comments about this podcast, you can email me at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com. If you got something out of this or other episodes of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, consider supporting me on Patreon. You can find me there at Queerly Christian. I am so grateful to my current patrons, including the spectacular Willow Hoving, the wonderful Rosina Page, and the awesome Ron Hartzler. These three generous folks support me at the $12 level or higher. Join them if you have any money to spare. Even a dollar is super helpful. And if you don't have the means, that's totally cool, too. You can support this podcast by liking and reviewing it on iTunes or wherever else you listen to it, and by telling friends about it if you can. That's all I've got for you this week. I'm going to go hang out with my beautiful wife and my wacky little siblings and my sweet baby niece now. See you all in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, go break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life.